Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians 13. I'm pretty confident that almost all of you listening to this podcast have read or at least heard 1 Corinthians 13 before. This is a very familiar passage. And the context, I'm guessing even that many of you have heard this passage in, is a wedding ceremony. Very commonly, at least part of this passage is read at weddings. But what I want you to see is that the context in which many of you might associate this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is pretty far from the original context of this chapter. This chapter was not written for a wedding ceremony. This chapter was written in the midst and the context of church drama. One of the most, let's just be honest, miserable things on planet Earth. When you've got God's people coming together, but there is drama and division. Uh, That is the context for this chapter. And I want you to think that because uh, the chapters before and after were in spiritual gifts, and that might be confusing. And sometimes you're just reading and you come, oh, 1 Corinthians 13, I know this. Don't ignore the context because it is in the middle of two chapters talking more about spiritual gifts. And you'll even see there's actually a lot of mention of spiritual gifts in this chapter. So the immediate context is a discussion of spiritual gifts. And even that discussion on spiritual gifts takes place within a broader context of dealing with a church full of drama and division. So with that in mind, let's walk through the chapter and then end kind of back in the middle of the chapter, hopefully with some things for you to chew on and some application from this chapter. So we should remember the last verse of chapter 12, which says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So now chapter 13 is him showing that more excellent way. And he mentions at the beginning some of the more flashy gifts that seem to be a part of the controversy in the church in Corinth. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here he's been talking about spiritual gifts, but he's putting this in as an important reminder. Hey, you could have all the spiritual gifts you could ever dream of having, but if you don't have love, it will be nothing. Nothing. And this is still true today. Remember, going back to chapter 12, verse 7, we see, I think, the most straightforward textual definition of a spiritual gift to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, um, that that's it there. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that can be described by the word gift or by service 
or by activities. So fast forward to your local church context. What would be the things in your church that would be prized? You know, the things that people would say, oh man, that is something that is being used so well for the common good. Maybe it is some gift of teaching. Maybe you're a skilled musician and you're really powerful in musical worship. Maybe you're someone that has, like it says here, so a lot of faith uh, so as to remove mountains. Maybe you give a lot to the church. And so even a lot of the church's ministry is enabled by your faithful and generous giving. But it's saying if you have all that, but you don't have love, it's nothing. It is nothing. Uh, One writer uh, commenting on this passage talked about, if you think about a church and uh, you you think about maybe the different things that they do well, or the different ministries that they have, right? Each one of those is a zero. Um, And if you think of a number, right? So, hey, the more zeros in a number, the better. But then the amount of love is, is like the first number or the first digit of the number. So, hey, you, you've got great uh, music, you've got good teaching, you, you've got a great kids ministry, you know, there's three zeros, but what's the digit at the front going to be? Well, if if there's no love, it's a zero. And so what does that make all the other zeros add up to? Zero. But if you put a, a one there, well, now you've got a big number. Or if you put a eight or a nine there, you've got an even bigger number. That's how important love is. Is sure. Let, let's let's add a lot of zeros to the number. Th- those other things are important, but love, it, Paul is saying, is really the most important thing in the equation. And then he describes love, and and this these are the words that you have probably heard at weddings before. Love is patient and kind, and it goes on to describe all of these things about love. And we'll come back to that at the end. But then it gets in verse eight, love never ends. And I like that translation. Sometimes we think love never fails. That's just another explanation of of love. Um, But really from the context, it's saying love never ends, but these other things will cease. Prophecy, tongues, uh, knowledge, all these things, they will eventually cease. And some, there is some debate about the meaning of some of these words. And if they indicate when these things will cease, will some of them cease now in the short term? Um, And and then clearly at the end, he's speaking of of heaven when there's no more mere dimly, but face to face. Uh, Are they all good till then? And that's where there can be debate about that, but that's not really the point. The clear point is at some point, all of these gifts will end, but love will not end. Love will not end even when we are there face to face and there's no no more need for prophecy. There's no more need um, even for understanding mysteries and knowledge and teaching, right? Because we are there with Christ face to face. There will still be love. That's how important love is. And he even talks about faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's where I would say even faith someday will be sight. Hope someday will be fulfilled. Love will remain. Love never ends. So, are you loving? That should be, I think, the biggest takeaway from us as we 
think through this passage. We need to remember this was written to a local church in conflict. And so you should hold this passage up to yourself as a mirror and saying, am I contributing to a culture of love at my local church? Because if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if my church doesn't have love, it's nothing. And I once had a teacher uh, challenge us to read verses four through seven. Uh, And let me read those verses for us now, and then we'll explain a couple switches we want to make. So verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So those are familiar words, but now try reading it again. And instead of love or it, put your name in there and see how that feels. Ben is patient and kind. Ben does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Try doing that with your own name. And here's the thing. There's going to be parts for all of us when you read that. Some parts you're going to wince harder than others. Because you're going to read your own name and you say, Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He is not irritable or resentful. Is that true? Am I rejoicing at wrongdoing? There's going to be things there that will convict you when you read it like that. There's your takeaway. There's what you need to go to God and really start by confessing and repenting. But then how, how will you change in that? Well, here's one thing that will help. That same teacher said, okay, now try reading it again. But instead of putting your name in there, try this name. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do we not see Jesus as the perfect embodiment of love? And that should do a couple things for us. It should relieve us because as you wince and you realize, wow, there are some ways in love that I am falling short. Praise God for a perfect sacrifice and a spotless lamb. We need to worship Christ for that. But not only will it relieve us, it will instruct us. The example of Christ should encourage us, instruct us in what it looks like to live in those ways. And especially as we think about Jesus in his incarnation, as he lived a life as the perfect example of love. Uh, That should instruct us and we are commanded to love as he has loved. So I hope that you are relieved by the forgiveness that comes through the love of Christ, but also instructed by the example of the love of Christ and that you walk away today with some specific things to think about and pray about so that you might be a person that could be described as loving and a a part of a church that is described as loving as well. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.